0: The Final Frontier. These are the discussions of the podcast Sword and Laser. Its continuing mission to explore strange new science fiction and fantasy novels to seek out new characters and new beverages to boldly read where no one has read before. Go to patreon.com/swordandlaser to join the mission.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Sword and Laser. I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Of course, Veronica Belmont uh, still huddled away with her beautiful baby on maternity leave. Uh, So Mallory O'Mara is back for another episode. Thank you, Mallory.
0: Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about the spoilery version of this book with everyone.
1: Yes, yes. We finally get to uh, have... Our uh our Marrow Thieves spoilery conversation. Uh that's coming up at the end. We'll give you plenty of warning uh before we get there. Uh and uh we also don't have a pregnant woman on the podcast right now, so we can talk about what we're drinking because we have been drinking things. I am not we pregnant. sure have. Yeah, I shouldn't speak for you, Mallory, but I'm assuming that you put something you're drinking not in pregnant. here. I'm yeah, very, okay, very not pregnant. <laughs> uh, what are you drinking?
0: I'm bringing something I'm really excited to tell you about. Um, you know, I'm a huge bourbon nerd and my my boyfriend got me a, this bottle for Christmas. And I'm so excited because so most bourbons are made with just like industrial corn. Uh, but this bourbon, it's uh, from High Wire Distilling. It's called the New Southern Revival. And it's called that because they've revived a, an heirloom type of red corn and that's Mm. what they used for the bourbon and i gotta tell you it it tastes completely different i mean it still tastes like a bourbon it has the smoothness and the sweetness but it tastes piney but not in a bad way Mm. not in like an astringent gin sort of way not Mm -hmm. to knock gin i do like a gin uh but it tastes like a smooth sweet pine and it's huh. incredible and i am i've been tracking some different breweries i know widow jane does one there's certain breweries all over the country most of them in the south that are experimenting with different types of corn this is the level of bourbon nerdery that i operate at and i'm so <laughs> excited to finally uh, try some uh what are you drinking tom
1: uh I, well before i get to that i was gonna ask you is it kind of like a pine nut
0: no it no? really okay. like it, in the, in the nose it smells like straight up pine
1: okay. All right. I it is so,
0: this. yeah, you have to try it. It's so, I can't speak for how much it costs because my boyfriend got it for me for Christmas. So and I do not want to be like, wow, how much is this? Um, but it is, it's so interesting. It's definitely a bourbon you sip on it. I wouldn't call it like a mm. cocktail bourbon. Um, but it's so, so good. And it's so interesting.
1: Well, never go up against the author of girly drinks in <laughs> a, what are you drinking competition? Cause mine is not nearly that impressive. Uh, <laughs> It is a 10-year-old uh, Talisker scotch. Yum. Um yeah, it's delicious. It's one of my favorites.
0: We have some of that here. Oh yeah? Here yeah. in my my home. I say that as if I'm coming from <laughs> some exciting place. Uh we uh
1: we broke it out uh for Burns Night on January 25th. I don't know if you're familiar with the poem poet Robert Burns, the yeah. national poet of Scotland, the ploughman oh, poet.
0: Oh, oh, right, 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 right.
1: Yeah. Uh, he, he has a very famous poem, uh, uh, addressing a haggis, uh, and on his birthday on January 25th, uh, you have what's called a burned supper, uh, with a haggis and, uh, some drinks and, and with some haggis, other as dishes. In you eat
0: a haggis or you invite a haggis to the, the supper.
1: You do, do both. You invite the haggis <laughs> and then you eat it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we didn't have any haggis, so we had tacos, <laughs> which
0: you know the tacos the ha- many people say that tacos mm. are the haggis of north america
1: i had many many scots <laughs> on twitter telling me that that was perfectly fine <laughs> that robert burns would approve God, as long I don't as even we know had the you scots. would
0: get haggis here
1: i mean we actually have a uk themed uh pub with an attached shop not too far from us a Bet they have haggis. Uh didn't check. <laughs> I just ordered tacos. We're
0: on we're on haggis alert, folks. Let yeah, us yeah. know where to find some haggis.
1: Uh, yeah, anywhere in the Los Angeles area with haggis, uh, let us know. Uh, but yeah, so I had the Talisker 10-year uh, for that. Awesome. All right, let's move on to the quick burns. Yawn, which let's just say right now, majority of the quick burns this week from Yan. So give it up for yawn. I was going to say, uh, yawn
0: is the... A VIP of yeah. this episode. Uh
1: you're you're gonna get you're gonna hear Jan's name again. Uh well done, Jan. Uh in this first of the many Jan contributions, the historical dictionary of science fiction has gone live. It's a work in progress, comprehensive quotation-based dictionary of the language of science fiction and is a now unaffiliated offshoot of the Oxford English Dictionary. So if you want to look up the dimension or other theoretical region that coexists with your own, but typically has different physical laws, especially such a region that allows an object to travel through it such that the total journey occurs at faster than light speeds, head on over to sfdictionary.com for the definition of hyperspace.
0: I'm so excited about this one, because it's cool Two because this is my friend It was created by my friend, Jesse Scheidlauer, oh, that's uh, who is incredible. He used to work for the Oxford English Dictionary. And he also, if you are, if you think this is amazing and you are a word nerd, he wrote, uh, literally wrote the book on the word fuck. So <laughs> mm, <well laughs> he right. is super cool.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. So he just did a whole book of explaining like, this is how it happened. This is yes. where it comes from. This yes. is why we use it. Oh, that's great. <laughs>
0: He is one of the world experts on the word "fuck," <laughs> a,
1: a word that exists in the world.
0: <laughs> uh, so the next quick burn is exciting news that. Uh, so is it Don- John Toloni Tesla? Okay. Mm-hmm. So John Toloni Heaven's River which is the fourth by book is out of its Audible exclusive period and now available in ebook format. Do you think like that the book is just like waiting at the gate for the day that it gets to be uh, turned into an ebook?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was waiting for that transformative moment uh in, in its lifetime. Yeah, uh, the the uh, the thing with Dennis C. Taylor is that he made a deal with Audible uh and so his books in the bobaverse universe anyway uh or in the bobaverse uh all come out on on audiobook first for an exclusive period uh which you know that means a lot of people end up listening to them instead of reading them but if that's not your deal uh you always have to wait for that that transformative moment to come along
0: when the the little audible book goes into a cocoon and comes out an ebook <laughs>
1: Oh, it's so cute. Look at (laughs) him. Eric uh, pointed out uh, an update to Eric's previous Quick Burn. Uh, Eric wrote, apparently Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman have worked a licensing deal with Wizards of the Coast for a new Dragonlance trilogy. The new trilogy, that's what's new, will return us to the beloved characters of the original trilogy. The books will be published by Delray Books, and there's a link uh, to Tracy Hickman's website, trhickman.com.
0: Very exciting. Uh, again, that's I mean, it's, it's like, oh, it's finding $20 in your pocket. Like, oh, I got a new book. Actually, it's three.
1: Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> that's 60 bucks. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Which is uh, uh, maybe they short sold the Dragonlance trilogy <laughs> oh, and no. tripled their money.
1: <laughs> I was going to go the Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill route, but I couldn't figure out how to make that <laughs> one work. <so. laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, ho- c- congratulations to all the GameStop investors out there. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> please support our Patreon. <laughs> uh,
0: Jan has another quick burn, which is very interesting. Uh, so according to Variety, the tales of Duncan Egg by George R. R. Martin are now in early development at HBO. No writer, writer or other talent is currently attached to the project, but according to Variety, it is a high priority for HBO as it's still seeking to build on the success of Game of Thrones. However, there have been several Game of Thrones related projects at HBO already that were in early development and ultimately got dropped by the network with only the four... 2022 slated house of the dragon series about the early days of the Targaryens and Westeros surviving. Uh, I feel like somebody at HBO right before the game of Thrones finale came out was like, Oh man, I'm so smart. I'm going to get all, I have optioned all these things that are going to happen. It's going to be amazing. And then the next day as everyone voiced their massive disappointment for how the series (laughs) ended went. Oh no.
1: Oh no. I got optioned. for (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) What do I do now? Um, I yeah uh, it it's it's a fool's game. Uh, you you'd probably do better on on betting on GameStop stock, uh, than to <laughs> bet on what Game of Thrones properties will actually end up uh, being television shows. It does look like House of the Dragon for sure is happening, but remember there was that The Long Night, yeah, uh, prequel that was in development was being written, and then they pulled the plug on that. So,
0: I think I they're know. all waiting for people to forget how grumpy they are about Game of Thrones. <laughs>
1: I would love tales of Duncan Egg because that would be such a nice chaser, right? Yes, be- it would be so different in tone. You could do so many fun things with it. Um, it depends on who
0: does it. I mean, that's the that's yeah, the thing. So always, many people were does. grumpy about Game of Thrones because of you know the the decisions that were made by the showrunners. And if a whole new team was attached to Duncan Egg, that could be really really cool.
1: Yeah, and um, you you are less dangerous waters with tales of Duncan Egg because there's not unwritten books that you have to try to hit which is yes. i think what what derailed a lot of what happened with the game of thrones series um so so i think there's a there's a little more flexibility in that property maybe or maybe just
0: relief <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, less, re- less tension
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: Uh, Jan is back uh, with a variety story reporting that the production companies Stampede Ventures and Whip have partnered to adapt the first book in Gareth L. Powell's epic sci-fi novel series Embers of War as a television show. Uh, If you don't know Embers of War, from the Goodreads page... The warship Dog was built and bred for calculating violence, yet following a brutal war, she finds herself disgusted by conflict and her role in a possible war crime. Seeking to atone, she joins the House of Reclamation, an organization dedicated to rescuing ships in distress. Uh, Breck Eisner, who directed several of the Expanse episodes, is attached, but no network is yet involved.
0: Sounds pretty cool.
1: Yeah, um, I like I like a, a, a ship as a main character.
0: That there, that's been something that's been really popular in the past few years in sci-fi is like non-human protagonists of things mm-hmm. like the murder bot books and, uh, just ships and or robots and or AI in different combinations with each other. Uh, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah. The whole Bobiverse thing that we were talking about kind of the, kind of that, that genre, that wheelhouse, would that be a wheelhouse?
0: That would be a wheelhouse item.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah
0: that we talk about quite frequently on reading glasses. Uh, Jan is back once again with another (laughs) (laughs) exciting announcement. The nominees for the 2021 Philip K. Dick awards have been announced, which is super cool. Uh, They are failed state by Christopher Brown, the book of Coley by M. R. Carey dance on Saturday by Elwin Cotman bone silence by Alistair Reynolds uh, road out of winter by Alistair Stein and doors of Eden by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky.
1: Tchaikovsky. Yeah.
0: Tchaikovsky. See, folks, don't worry. I'm gonna this- <laughs> uh, I learned my lesson from last year. I always do
1: this on purpose. You'll find out why in a minute. <laughs> I, I am doing it
0: on purpose. <laughs> uh but the winner will announce will be announced April 21st during this year's NorwestCon.
1: So congratulations
0: yeah. to all the nominees. Pretty exciting.
1: I love the Philip K. Dick Awards uh, because they always introduce me to books that I don't think I would have found out about otherwise. Uh, a lot of the the sci fi and fiction fantasy awards are books that I've heard of, you know, and and it may put it back on my radar. But but the Philip K. Dick Awards are always in some some corners uh, of the genre that that don't get as much light shown on them. I don't think.
0: Oh that's the best thing about book awards yeah. is just going through them going oh I'm going to buy that oh I haven't read that oh it's like <laughs> it's, it's like a it's, shopping list It really is I think it's different like sometimes you know we all watch the Oscars to to see which movies mm-hmm. that we love that are going to to win I think a lot of us look at book awards with the opposite feeling of like oh I haven't read that I want to really I really really want to read that
1: uh, then Trike uh, submitted that Ursula K. Le Guin will be on a commemorative U.S. postage stamp painted by artist Donato Giancola. It is a portrait of Le Guin in front of a scene from the left hand of darkness.
0: So cool. So yeah. cool. Uh, hopefully, I know the, the, the our, our postal service is really struggling right now. Mm. Hopefully, a ton of people will go buy these stamps and help them out
1: yeah i I'm definitely buying these stamps. The question is, would I ever mail anything or am I just going to keep them because they're beautiful?
0: I was gonna say I would feel a little weird sticking poor Ursula on a letter and like <laughs> sending her away I'd be like no, go back.
1: I know, but then on the other hand, I think about how cool it is if you get that letter like I wouldn't do this for my power bill for goodness sake, but you know if you, <laughs> if, you if you if you get a piece of mail and it's like, oh, it's got an Ursula Leguin stamp that's kind of a that's kind of a fun addition. I just don't i guess I don't mail anything that isn't. I barely mail anything as it is. But yeah, if I do, it's all it's all boring. Save her for
0: your Christmas cards, Tom. There you go. Draw a little Santa hat on her.
1: That's a good idea. I'm not going to draw a Santa hat on that (laughs) stamp. seems blasphemous. (laughs) For Donato Giancola, if nothing else.
0: (laughs) Uh, so we also have Trike back again with uh, an interesting uh, announcement that the Queen's Gambit showrunner is going to adapt Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow as a limited series on effects, which I have so many mixed feelings about because I've never been so angry at a book as I have been at Mary Doria Russell's The
1: Sparrow. <laughs> Why? Why is that?
0: I feel like I've been traumatized by The Sparrow. I I read that book. At a clip, I took an afternoon off to finish that book because I I was reading. It's this amazing story about this, um, this group of people, these scientists, this priest who ends up involved with them. And there is a transmission from an alien planet that they... They decide to put a coalition together, like with the Vatican, in a spaceship to go find it. And I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing! The priest is such a cool guy; he's such a great protagonist. And then about three fourths of the way through, things take a turn, and it might be the darkest mm. book. And have you ever have you read this?
1: Yeah, we read this as a sword and laser oh, pick god. several years back. Then you
0: know. It's so I'm I still have nightmares about the Sparrow. Oh, wow. It was, it's yeah. so dark and so brutal that one, I, I actually was talking to a friend of mine about this who has also read it. And he's like, how are they going to adapt this? How are they going to adapt to the ending?
1: What if yeah. they just
0: cut, rip the last part of the book off and <laughs> throw it into the sun?
1: <laughs> um. Did, did you watch Queen's Gambit? I haven't
0: yet. I haven't watched Queen's Gambit. uh, Probably because it doesn't have any monsters in
1: it. It's interesting to me because, well, first of all, Queen's Gambit can't hold a candle to the sparrow as far as darkness, but it does have darkness. And the darkness could have landed a lot heavier, in my opinion, than it did. Like, I'm watching some of this and I'm like, ooh, this is really, really, really dark, but it doesn't end up there. So I wonder (sighs) if having... But Queen's some Gambit of the stuff that happens
0: at the end of the spare I, ride, I, you I, can't... Trust
1: me, I'm not even trying to compare that to chess. Like, like, <laughs> I
0: just don't know how how yeah. you would... Like, what happened with his hands? Like, mm, I, I don't... Mm. I, I truly do not know how they... There's nothing that they could do. And you can't draw a Santa hat on this. There's, <laughs> there's nothing you can do to make this. So I, I'm very... I'm very intrigued. This would be something yeah. that when it came out, I would have to see. I very rarely ever read reviews of things um, before I watch them, but this would be the sort of thing where I would really want to see what they did before. I well, yeah. this yeah.
1: And a limited series. They're not, they're not going to do like 12 episodes or anything. This is going to be, it sounds like this is going to be like five, seven, something like that. Well, hmm.
0: so, uh, I, I, I have all my, my PTSD from, from reading the sparrow,
1: flashing back to me. <laughs> Uh well then uh let's uh cleanse that memory uh from your brain with Jan. Yes, Jan has one more quick burn for us. Uh according to deadline, the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan is set to be adapted as a tv series. Uh no network or streaming service attached yet, earliest of days. But uh yeah, uh we read the Powder Mage as a sword and laser book while back as well. Much less so dark yeah yeah I mean, you know it's war and stuff, but definitely less dark than the sparrow for somehow
0: sure. less dark than the sparrow. but this is really exciting. i think um i I think this is something that I mean, the visuals in that book i really I really think this would make a super fun adaptation,
1: yeah, and I like the magic uh the the powder magic uh that you know the gunpowder magic that Brian created there. So I'm looking forward to that,
0: and then John has uh, has a, a cool uh, update for us that Tor has a blog post with details of books to be released in 2021. There were a couple I was aware of and looking forward to a uh, desolation called peace and fugitive Te- telemetry, but most were new to me and one that was especially interesting, the witness for the dead, which is a return to the world of the goblin emperor. Uh, very, I, I love an anticipated books list. It's like going grocery shopping, you know, mm-hmm. looking at all these amazing things that are going to come out and there's some really, really fun Books coming out this year, uh, you know, a desolation call, called peace. I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to, especially after she won the Hugo for best novel from last mm. year. Uh, do you have any anticipated sci-fi books for 2021?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, all of this list. Don't go to this <laughs> list if you don't want to add things. Uh, the Origin of the Storms by Elizabeth Bear was one that that caught my eye uh, cause she's one of my faves. Uh, the, the one that he mentioned really it, it made me do a double take the, you know, the idea of going back to the goblin emperor. Uh, we didn't, we didn't know if Catherine Addison would ever return to that world. And so I'm really excited to see what she does now that she has
0: pretty exciting.
1: Yeah. All right. Time to bear your sword. Our feedback from the audience. Mark pointed out that our entirely volunteer run sword and laser wiki has 200 pages uh, to which Tassie Dave added, I guess I'm responsible for the majority of those wink at an educated guess. I'd say I've made over 150 pages. Oh, my gosh, Tassie Dave. Thank you so much. Uh, And contributed to at least another 10. And I'd say Mark has contributed to more pages than me at 180 plus uh, so huge thanks to Tassie, Dave, Mark, and everyone else uh, who wow. has joined in to keep that. I, I don't know if I talk about it all that often, but I use this as a resource whenever, like when I was setting up Mallory and Bria, and when I'm setting up Rod, I will send them a link from that wiki of like, here's all the books we've read so far. It uh, so helpful. it's super helpful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Incredible. That is so cool. Uh, and then Ruth has, uh, is chiming in on the subject of dreams. Uh, I actually love the monster kind of nightmares though, because they are like my own private horror movies. I just think Ruth is braver than I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, she says last night's was a zombie dream where some local teens had gone into some old abandoned mines and caves in a small town somewhere in the U S and there had been an accident. I was a reporter who went to the town looking for a story. The mines caves had been covered over with plastic sheeting, but you could bet it didn't stay that way for long. I'd watch that movie. Ruth, you should just start writing this stuff down.
1: Yeah, seriously. I wait this just in uh, Netflix has optioned Ruth's dreams. <laughs> no film. network
0: is attached, but, <laughs>
1: yeah. but people are very uh,
0: excited about it.
1: No, that's, that's great. I love that. Uh, and then Jan is back in, uh, in our feedback as well. Saying there was recently an interesting episode of the Script Notes podcast where Maria Devana Headley talked about her new feminist translation of Beowulf and explained that every translation, especially from a dead language like Beowulf, is always an adaptation, as words can mean different things or are not directly translatable at all. A good example can be found in this review of her translation that shows how Headley sets a completely different tone by translating the opening intensifier, Hwet. As bro, and not, for example, low like Tolkien did. So basically Beowulf starts with bro. Uh, In any case, that discussion did make me want to read that translation of Beowulf very much. On a slightly more mundane level, in Germany it was in the 70s quite common to dub TV shows in a way that had nothing to do with the original. The I Spy TV show was, for example, turned from a more realistic spy drama with some humor into a goofy show with meta humor and puns every other sentence. But I don't know any case where that has happened to novels or at least modern.
0: That one everyone should read Maria's translation of Beowulf because it's amazing. But also, I love this idea that they were like, we don't in Germany. They're like, you know what? Let's just make it a completely different show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, and this this all went back to the translation of what of um, um, of uh, Dracula, right?
0: Uh, it, I think we were talking about maybe. I know we, I brought up the tran the translation of um, Hun King's The Vegetarian.
1: Mm, um okay because it was
0: was winning all these awards until somebody who was fluent in both languages said hold on these books are
1: completely (laughs) different
0: (laughs) these are like it's it's like a totally different book and i i love that idea though that somebody and i don't know the workings of german television but somebody up someone there was like you know what let's just throw this whole thing out the window and do something different
1: well i can see where you're like Hold on. None of these jokes are going to land. The cultural references don't make sense. Uh, The puns don't make sense. You know, I'm not that I Spy was full of puns, but I, you know, there's so many of those kinds of things because I watch enough uh, Asian shows that are dubbed or not dubbed, but uh, subtitled to know that like sometimes those subtitles are like, okay, you gave me the gist of what they said, maybe even a literal translation, but I'm going to have to do some work to imagine what was meant. Uh, it's, It's a whole different, a whole different talent.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, that. that's part of I think that's also part of the reason why we all should read more translated books. But man, yeah, yeah. now I, I want to see the
1: German version of I, Spy. <laughs> I know I want it so bad. <laughs> but then you'd have to really speak German to really get it because otherwise we're <laughs> going to see. It. Yeah, no, that's I, I'm going to have to learn German now. That's all there is to it. <laughs>
0: And, and then Mark says, okay, no one else has brought up the lump in the Room podcast. Mallory just blew through the difficult author names like they weren't there. What's up with that? And I do want to apologize. That's all on me. <laughs> I'm not upholding Veronica's tradition like I should have. I threw in one, uh, I picked out one name that I thought I could mispronounce. I Hopefully that will be enough for everybody this episode. <laughs>
1: you didn't you really didn't have to like intentionally mispronounce things <laughs> in the show, but I admire your dedication to the bit that Listen, you did
0: Veronica made a human being the least I can do is mispronounce a name
1: <laughs> it seems yeah seems like that you know she put in a lot of effort uh so you know why not um yeah uh we will uh we will endeavor to make sure that rod uh and uh alex uh coming up uh, the month after that little little tease little tidbit there uh that no that they're expected to mispronounce at least one name to keep up the tradition all right let's get to our uh book of the month now before we do next month Rod Simmons from the SMR podcast will be joining us. He's our February guest host, uh, and he has picked The Fold by Peter Kleins. Now, a few folks, uh, and I think most folks on Goodreads work this out on their own uh, talking to each other, but a few folks noted that this is the second. In a series, but it's not really a series. Uh, it e- each book is standalone. They're just in the same universe. This is just the second one that came out in that universe. So, if you're like, "Oh, I don't like to read books out of order," Peter Klein's himself, uh, I don't think, minds if you do that, and you won't be missing anything. It's not like a direct. Sequel. No, I
0: don't think Peter is going to going to bust through your window and be no. like, "Hey, <laughs> buy the first Hold
1: one." Hold on a minute.
0: <laughs> what are you doing?
1: <laughs> yeah. So go check that out. The Fold by Peter Clines. Uh, You can start reading that whenever you want. And we'll be talking about it on the next episode with Rod Simmons. We are now going to get spoilery about The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Dimaline. So if you haven't read it or if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, please, uh, you can pause now and come back. Once you've read it, we've given you the warning. Mallory, what'd you think?
0: I love this book. I absolutely love this book. Um, I was really surprised by it. It just, it it didn't do what I thought it was. And I shouldn't have been surprised because Empire of Wild ends in a very similar way where now I'm recognizing it as maybe a hallmark of her writing where it feels like her last chapter is like, should be the second to last chapter. Like there should be more happening. Um, And it's so interesting to me that where she chooses to end the story. uh, But the more I sit with it and the same thing with her other, her adult book Empire of Wild, I'm like, wait, I loved this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What did you think, Tom?
1: Yeah. One one of the ways I've I've taken to evaluating books is sort of to tell you the involuntary impulses I have. Uh, Do I force myself to read it? Do I read it at the normal time? Do I look forward to reading it or do I find time uh, to read it? In the first half, I was enjoying reading it when it was time for me to read, I was like, Oh good. I'll listen to the marrow thieves now. Cause I was doing the audiobook uh, on Kobo. Uh, and I really liked the the performance and, and I liked Frenchie and it was, I think one of my wheelhouses, uh, as you say, on reading glasses is, uh, crews, like a crew of, of people. And so you're like that a first
0: ragtag half, group of yeah, motley friends.
1: Exactly. We, getting together you know,
0: to survive something.
1: I got to know all the the members of the group as they're, as they're marching their way, you know, a, across the wilderness. And I was like, all right, this is fun. I like these folks. Uh, I like the crew. I, I like that, you know, Frenchie is learning valuable lessons and, 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 you know, uh, growing as a person and then the cliff. Yes. And Then <laughs> I was finding excuses to read this. And uh, honestly, I was, listening to this while I was doing some kitchen work, I was doing some dishes and stuff. And I was like, I was done with the dishes and I was just standing in the kitchen. I was just like walking around in circles. Your wife is like, Tom, why are
0: you just standing there with wet (laughs) kitchen gloves on your hands? And I was like,
1: shh, hold on. I I don't know what's happening to Frenchie right now is I hope he's okay. Uh, yeah. Like it just took off from there. And that's, near the end it's more than halfway through so i was enjoying it most of the way but it just soared for me after that
0: yeah minerva really what a mm-hmm. hero i mean it was oh, yeah. so she she's such oh, a great gosh, character right? and yeah. as i was watching as i was watching <laughs> so i was uh, reading the scene where she takes down the building and take uh, you know they're hooking her up and she you know unleashes her power mm-hmm. i thought oh, and this is, the I always think, the hallmark of a really good book. I was like, man, I want to see this. This would make such a great movie. Just her sitting there singing her heart out and just destroying everything. I was like, this is so cool. I mean, it is. I think it's very rare. When is the last? I can't think of another uh, off the top of my head sci-fi book where the hero with that much power is an old woman.
1: And not the main character, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and not painted as a hero through most of it. She is kind of painted as someone who's valuable but has been through a lot and you know maybe you have to have a little patience with sometimes right and we've all known people like that and yet she is the one who who does it right like she she is this like you said she's the superhero
0: well it's and it's so amazing how she ties it into this like greater theme of how important language and culture is to the whole group and mm-hmm. how um there's another book that I was thinking of. So if, if listeners love the theme of language being of importance, there's another great book by an Australian indigenous writer named Tara Winch. It's called The Yield, which is it's not sci-fi. It's just a, a literary book uh, that's all about the power of language and and translations and and how important they are to a culture. And I really, those were some of my favorite scenes in this. Is when they were all learning one new word, Mm -hmm. you know, in in their language and how it was like a jewel, you know, how how important it was and how connected it made them feel and how powerful and how that was really, in the end, the the best, the most powerful thing. It wasn't them having guns. It wasn't them having bombs. It wasn't having any sort of military power. It was their connection to their people and their community. And I just love that so much.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a brilliant bit of misdirection uh to cast Minerva as the secondary, right? They, the the story tried to sort of, sort of play into my um, you know my prejudices as like well the person that's tracking you know and being able to look out for the enemies and find the next place uh, that's the important one. What Minerva brings was never diminished in the story. Uh, it was very much emphasized that like her preservation of language was super important, and people valued it and wanted it and were envious of getting it. Uh, but there was some misdirection about just how important that was it's like oh that's that's important when we have time for it and it turned out that not only was that important all the time but it may have been the most important thing in the preservation of that team
0: oh i i think it's i think almost everybody reading this book you know in, the, in that moment when minerva just de- Pulls that brilliant maneuver and and mm-hmm. gets taken instead of everybody, and she's taken and it's very sad. But you're you almost sort of write her off in your brain. You're like, oh well, they yeah. took this old lady and they're going to kill her, and it's very sad. But you kind and
1: of- they need to save her because you know she she was the old lady who knew the stories, and that would be another loss of culture. You know, that's where my head was at.
0: And then Minerva's like, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just amazing, and it's such a great way to to illustrate her point. And another thing that I really loved. And again, it's um, having read her other book, I'm seeing it's sort of a theme for her is this, this choice uh, to center these characters, you know, this, uh, there's all this background of conflict, of what's going on to the indigenous people of North America, but it's really Frenchy and his decisions. And in the middle of all of this, he still has to decide whether to stay with his dad or go with mm-hmm. Rose or start a family like that whole uh, idea. And, and I think they, she says uh, Cherie says this in the book of like choosing to go forward. Um, and I loved that, that some of the things they were talking about with this conflict, you know, there, there's a scene where um, near the end of the book where they're discussing um with some of the, the Cree characters that are in the camp, you know, how the Cree held out until against the white people until the drones came. But if you remove drone from that sentence, that could be, you know, from when yeah. English and European colonizers came over and it's so you see how cyclical this is and how this type of conflict is. So, uh, I, I mean, it's been happening to indigenous people now. I mean, in the, I think this book takes place what in 2070, something maybe. So at this point, yeah, at the,
1: 2054, maybe, yeah, somewhere,
0: or? somewhere like 30 or remember, 40 for sure. or 50 yeah. years in the future. But you see how it's been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years at this point. And the only choice they have, these people have is to keep going forward, keep living their lives, keep having hope, uh, keep, you know, living and making babies and, and, and trying to con- connect with their past as much as possible, but at the same time, still living their lives. And that's why I thought it was amazing that she balanced. The death of Minerva with the finding of Isaac.
1: Yeah, right. So and that that blew me away when it, it oh was like, God. oh no, Isaac's oh, gone. So like, emotional. I was crying. I was definitely crying when when <sighs> when, when Frenchie was like, wait, did you say Isaac?
0: <laughs> when he sees the Buffalo uh tattoo, I was like, oh my God. Oh, that's oh what it was. It was
1: the tattoo. Right. <sighs> yeah. And you're like, hold on, that but you're not. And that was so well set up because the tale of Isaac was just necessary for character development it didn't feel like it was like oh she's setting up that isaac's coming back it was like oh no no this is how we we get to know this character deeper and what their motivations are and and i I felt like that was all it was so another you know i keep using the word misdirection uh and and i don't mean that in in any kind of negative sense and another way to like make the story continue to surprise and delight you
0: oh absolutely i think it's brilliant because it's just like with minerva you know you you, when you never once think oh well Isaac's coming back you just from go automatically write him off and it's such a brilliant way to illustrate you know that you can still have hope that tragedies mm-hmm. are going to happen and awful things are, are going to, to to fall upon your your crew as uh, as you will uh But amazing things can happen out of the blue. You always have to have hope because you just never know. Frenchie finding his dad. You know, there's all these wonderful things that can happen. Um, It's not an either or situation. And I just, I loved it. I loved it so much. And I will say, I think it's very interesting for us to read this, knowing that she's working on a sequel. Mm. I think if I had read this, uh, you know, when it when it, right when it came out, not knowing that she was writing a sequel, I might have different feelings about it. I might be like, oh man, I want more, and that because that's how I felt at the end of Empire of Wild. I'm like, I want a sequel. Uh, so it's tough to kind to uh, untether myself from reading this knowing, oh, well, there's there's more to this because I that was my first feeling as I, I want to know what happens to them. I want to know what happens to Frenchie and Rose. I want to see uh, Chai Boy and Wab's baby like I want to I want to know what happens to all these characters.
1: I mean, I, I actually still remember where I was on my dog walk uh, when Frenchie was being so stupid uh, to Rose <laughs> and I'm, and and just thinking like, no, I I mean, I want to be mad at him, but that's real. Like that's 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 teenagers like the, that they was just such a brilliantly that, but, written oh, yeah. scene so well done, because right? it is
0: everybody who uh, has been in a teenage relationship or sometimes even an adult relationship yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. has been in a situation like that where somebody does someone's in a bad mood and is grumpy. So somebody else decides, oh, well, I'll. I'll get back at them by doing this thing that I perceive as harmless. And the other person is like, Oh, well now I'm even more hurt. So, and you just keep unintentionally say
1: something to make sure, you know, just how hurt I am, which is going to yes. drive us even further apart. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. And it's just like this spiraling completely unnecessary spiral into hurt and, and being angry. And then you don't really know what to do because you've both done stupid things, but the other person has also done a stupid thing. Uh-huh. I was like, this is, this is a writer who understands human beings.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause I was so frustrated, but I also knew that it was just real. like, like It's yeah.
0: so real because you've been on th- th- both sides of it. I was like, man, you know, that's so uncool of Rose to do that. Well, you're also, I, I don't know about mm-hmm.
1: you. I was I was Monday morning quarterbacking it. Like, no, man, what you got to say is this. But of course, like I, when I was that age, I didn't oh, yeah. you want know, to act any Who, better. Yeah. No
0: 16-year-old has the emotional no. intelligence, especially yeah. when you're considering that they're existing in such a bubble They are, and I mean, I guess maybe it makes us all feel like, you know, here we are in the pandemic, in a a social (laughs) bubble, but these kids don't have a big group. This is the first time they've seen another teenager in Mm -hmm. almost a year. Of course, it's going to throw, as as soon as that other teenage boy came into the mix, I was like, there's going to be trouble. There has to be trouble. (laughs) Teenagers are trouble. Um, But I, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I really enjoyed being in the like in the POV of, of a teenager during a, a story like this, I don't think I've read um, another cli-fi when I was doing some research on this book. Uh, I kept seeing it referred to as a, you know, climate fiction.
1: Uh, like, uh-huh. Clify,
0: fi That's so cool. Uh,
1: uh-huh.
0: I was like, I really enjoy reading a teenage point of view for this. Cause I, I don't actually read a ton of YA. I was like, this is so, it's such an interesting viewpoint to navigate this sort of world.
1: Let's get to some of the uh, viewpoints that uh, folks in our audience had uh, pulling from the Goodreads forums. Uh, Why don't you start us off with Lisa?
0: So Lisa says, maybe I'm being too literal, but am I the only one who thought that from a practical standpoint, it just didn't make any sense that they were killing off the indigenous people, even if the marrow that they extract is a cure versus a treatment for the dreamlessness. How do they know they won't run out of indigenous people before they treat the whites? And what if it requires? What if it occurs later, either in the same people or in future generations, possibly even darker than killing the indigenous people would be keeping them as breeding stock, like slaves, like another species? Is that too dark for a YA book? Was Dimaline trying to keep the story simpler? I think that, I, I mean, we just have been through a nightmarish presidential I- administration. We see that people, <laughs> bad people Aren't always smart. <laughs> I, I mean, this this definitely struck me. I I, I I there wasn't a moment in this book where I felt like it was being um, uh, un- unrealistic.
1: Yeah, I think Trike said something similar to what I'm about to say in the thread uh, that this came from. But uh, essentially, I agree with with Trike that this is showing that the imperialistic uh, people in this story uh, aren't good at. Uh, looking forward at long-term thinking because if they were good at long-term thinking, they would realize that what they're doing isn't, isn't sustainable. It isn't good for them either. Uh, And, and so this is kind of a metaphor for, you know, how we treat the climate now, which is like, nah, just burn all the coal and somebody else can worry about it later. Like use all the marrow. Somebody else can w- worry about it later. It's, it's a little darker because it's humans for sure, but it's no different in the attitude of wastefulness.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at, we just, we, we just went through hell last year where our, our ex president thought maybe it would be a good idea for us to use bleach to cure the coronavirus. Like oh, this that was is... just a
1: joke. Do you, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, you know, clearly that when people especially when people are panicked, like, you know, clearly, that's something that's happening in this book is people are panicking because they can't dream. Everything is on fire in this world. They're not thinking rationally. And like you said, they're not, (laughs) not a, not a group of people that are forward thinking, because if they were forward thinking, they wouldn't be in this mess in the first place.
1: Right. Yeah, so, uh, and and, uh, and I think uh, Lisa responded to Trike's comment as saying, oh yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. That makes perfect sense. Uh, Ruth wrote, weirdly, I felt like it was darker than I'd expected. I found that there was so much hopelessness within the book. To me, this shadowed even the uplifting parts, maybe because I hope people are better than it shows here, despite what history shows us. Actually thinking about it more, she went back and edited. I think this book seemed bleak to me for the same reasons it didn't to Trike." Groups like the ones in this novel have already been so appallingly treated in the very recent past, or it still goes on, and that is very upsetting to me. It makes it harder to distance myself from the dystopia of it all, I, but I agree the narration of the audiobook is excellent.
0: I I read an interview with Cherie uh, Dimaline earlier today about how, I mean, that that was her whole point of writing this book is she really wanted teens and whoever else was reading it to come away with that exact feeling like, I never want this to happen. Mm-hmm. I never, ever want something like this to befall. the. I mean, cause again, this, this would be just the second <laughs> of great atrocities that these people have endured. So I think it is a very, very dark book. And I think maybe that's why it's so great to have to go through it with a teenager, because half the time, you know, he's like thinking about boners instead of the <laughs> awful things that are happening. And it sort of balances out everything tonally because you have these bright spots with his love of his father and his love of Rose and all these things that are happening, uh, that balance it out. But I agree. It is a very dark book.
1: And and it, to me, it's dark in the background, which yes. to, to Ruth's point that that doesn't necessarily make it easier. But what I liked is the group, our, our crew here was never portrayed as a victim, you know, as, as needing help. Uh, they, they were portrayed as, as empowered as much as they could be in the situation. And, and I think that is what trike was saying is they gives you hope that, Hey, even in the darkest times, there are things you can do. Uh, there, there are ways to, to deal with the situation. And, 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 and so you're not, you're not seeing, it's like, Oh, these, these hopeless people you're seeing, Oh, it's a hopeless situation maybe, but yeah, you can you can have Frenchie still hoping that he can get together with Rose because you know they've got a strong crew.
0: And it looks like John has something very similar to say. Uh, John says, I finished the book a few days ago and have to say I hugely enjoyed it. It was refreshing to read a story where the quote unquote plot was firmly in the background and the focus was very much on the characters and their development. Those portraits were excellent, and I got a very strong sense of their struggle to survive. I didn't have any expectations going into the book and certainly didn't find it bleak. The fact that French was, oh, hide spoiler. Oh, Uh, the fact that- Oh, we don't have
1: to hide the The, spoiler. I was going to say.
0: uh, That was just copy
1: and paste from the Goodreads, sorry. uh,
0: The fact that French was reunited with his father and Meag and Isaac were reunited made made, made you spoiler.
1: Oh, Oh. uh, made it for him, I guess. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that didn't cut and paste very well, sorry.
0: (laughs) It's okay. Um, He says, good choice, five stars for me and I'm looking forward to the next guest pick.
1: Well, yes, uh and uh dis- despite my cut and paste uh problems, uh, I think John <laughs> said it better than I did that uh it, it was a refreshing read uh you know and and having the the portraits of the people was was excellent. So I'm glad glad you liked it, John.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. I I th- sometimes I really do love sci-fi where you get really into the minutia of the world and and all of that, but this one, I think with something so dark, it is it's the best way to tell it is to be so firmly entrenched in the minds uh, and the characters uh, of this group of people. And I love the way that, you know, she sort of started with a lot of action and only mm. you only start to get everybody's backstory. Like, I mean, you were still getting people's backstories halfway through the book. Yeah. And I, I loved that. And just really using the um, the character development as, as a as a way to pull you through everything, as opposed to the, you know, the other way around with plot.
1: Yeah. And and it depends on what your, you know, what your tastes are, you know, that may or may not work as well for you. I, I loved it uh, because I thought I, I had the hubris to think I knew where that story was going to go. Uh, and I was delightfully surprised uh, several times because of that. And I really, really bonded with that crew by the end because of that ability to slowly Introduce me to people as we went along. I mean, we learn a lot about Frenchie early, but even parts of his backstory you're not learning. So that kind of, I don't know, maybe uh, it it mimics being in a group like that, where you join and you just slowly get to know people in a group. You don't you don't have everybody you know give you a monologue of everything (laughs) about them right right the minute you join.
0: It was also really amazing to see how much Cherie Demeline has respect for her characters. Mm. Like there is all, all you could tell all these characters no one was pushing each other. That was such a huge thing as no one was pushing each other to tell each other their, their backstories or all the, all the awful things that happened to them. And even those who aren't, like you said earlier, you know, might not be good at traditionally helping the group with like hunting or fighting. Like I loved at the end that Slopper was put in charge of organizing things. And that's where he uh, really shone. And he was so good at it that everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I just love that sort of respect for the different ways that people are in the world and the, the different things that people have to contribute to a community.
1: Yeah, and without being overly utopic, it wasn't like there weren't no. <laughs> fights and problems and skirmishes along the way as well. Just just like there really are.
0: Yeah, there's just so so much respect, and I yeah, it, it it's it, it's such an interesting feeling to come away from such a dark book with such an uplifting, positive yeah, feeling. But I, I really, really did, and I think it's the mark of uh, her skill as a writer.
1: Absolutely, no, uh, that, that that was it was a tour de force, in my opinion. Well, I'm well, so no. glad.
0: I was so nervous. I had never read this book. <laughs> I was going to say, thank you for
1: picking this book. This was really enjoyable.
0: I just had really wanted to read it and it was perfect timing in about, uh, I don't know, maybe a few days after I picked it, I had this horror. I was like, Oh God, what if it's bad?
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs> now, I'm you so know, glad it my monthly, <laughs> my monthly fear. Now, um, it's, re- it's honestly, every book we pick splits the audience that uh, it is extremely rare for us to have a book that everybody likes or even that everybody hates it always splits it sometimes it's more you know 70 30 or 60 40 uh, sometimes it's more 50 50 but doing this show for so long has confirmed to me that uh, we're all different people uh, mm-hmm. and we all bring different experiences and and different uh tastes in, into that and so you're you're never that's why I, I I'm now more than ever less Uh, likely to ever say a book is good or bad period uh it just depends on on what you're bringing to it and who you are
0: it's funny we're we're having this conversation because uh recently on reading glasses bria and i had a a discussion about how we have we never give a book three stars because we Mm -hmm. were great obsessed when we were uh in school and to us you know three stars to us is a c whereas four stars is a b five stars is an a and um we, we got so many emails immediately as soon as that episode came out and it was completely split. Some people were like three stars is totally fine. It means I liked it. And the other people were like three stars. I would never give a book three stars. <laughs> so it's so interesting. And also, you know, makes me feel better as a writer. I'm sure it does to you too, that, you know, yeah. everything is so subjective. Even the ratings we give to books are so subjective.
1: Yeah. I, well, what you guys were saying on, on reading glasses about, uh, you know, when you were in school an a was minimum. Right, yes. like a B oh was you, you, you didn't, you didn't achieve what you needed to achieve. That was, that was my family too. Like that, if if we got a C, that was, that was bad news, and there was going to be a talking to. And and so the idea that a C would be like, no, that just means satisfactory. You, you know, you could have done better, but you know, you, but didn't you get passed. Enough. Yeah, yeah. I-
0: <laughs> to me it's just like it's, it just boggles my mind i'm like yeah a C. A c? what do you mean <laughs>
1: <laughs> like yeah no i was I, if i ever had a c which i think i did in handwriting probably <laughs> uh, which
0: is hilarious now because i was yeah. thinking about that like do, do people learn cursive in school anymore
1: <laughs> i know i don't think i if, hmm, that's a good question I've, I've heard people say that they don't and they do so i wonder how prevalent it still is but But you can look back on your
0: handwriting teacher and laugh (laughs) as you are the the host of a technology show.
1: (laughs) I haven't had a check returned to me for being illegible yet.
0: (laughs) I haven't seen a pencil in 15
1: years. (laughs) Yes, I I might have a wood allergy. No idea. (laughs) Uh, Well, folks, uh, we're going to miss Mallory, uh, but you don't have to because you can find more Mallory O'Mara over on the Reading Glasses podcast. Uh, Mallory, what should folks know about it?
0: Uh, it comes out every Thursday. And it's so it's very different from Sword and Laser. We don't review books, but uh, it's it's good in the way that you can listen to Reading Glasses no matter what you read. If you're an e-reader, a comics reader, a romance reader, a sci-fi reader, the book, the show is all about reading culture. So we go into book reviews about different book lights that we like and talk about what, how do you get a book back from somebody who's borrowed it from you? It's really all about culture and, and, and reader life. And I do it with with Bria Grant, who was the host of uh, December's Sword and Laser. So we have a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, go check it out. You will often find me walking my dog, uh, talking to Mallory and Bria alone <laughs> on the sidewalk, scaring the well, neighbors. Well, sometimes you
0: talk to us. I mean, some, you do pop into reading glasses occasionally <laughs> for true. some tech advice. That's true. I have, I
1: have I literally been on the show as yes. well. So. Uh, Yeah. Go check it out, folks. Uh, Maximumfun.org is the place uh, to find it. And we'll have a link in the show notes as well. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Thank you all uh, for backing our show. If you would like to be one of those patrons, if you're like, why are you thanking me? I, I, I don't support it yet. Well, you can fix that. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links, find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at sword slash picks. Feedback at swordandlaser.com is our email address. Swordandlaser.com, of course, is our website. Uh, We're on Instagram and Twitter, though Veronica way better at that stuff than I am. There hasn't been a lot on the Instagram lately, but I'll try to get better at that. And of course, we have lots of folks talking at goodreads.com. Look for the Sword and Laser group. See you there. Shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.